Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, uh, good morning. How's everybody? I know. Those guys are amazing. Listen, we're, uh, we're pausing for one week our series called Jesus Up Close to talk to you about some stuff that's really important. Um, we, Liz and I, always sit here, don't we? we I know. Uh, but you guys do the same thing. If you're regulars, you're always sitting in the same seat, right? I mean, I know. I know where you, all y'all sit. Uh, we like to invite people to sit with us sometimes because we're like, we want you to experience uh, uh, you, the, the, the rest of you, and, and experience the service and uh, experience God together and experience this church. Um, at the beginning of this church, we like to talk about this church as a place where, uh, where, where we want kids to bring their parents to church. Like, like we want this place to be a, a, a place where kids bring their parents to And, and uh, that's what the church did and is doing for our kids. It's been incredible. Um, we want to partner with parents, and we're so uh, grateful to have a church like that where we create environments where people can find and follow Jesus. And that takes effort. Okay? Like, that's not easy. It's not easy to do what we do. And what this church did and is doing for, for our kids and your kids is, is incredible. We partner with parents, and we're so, uh, we're so, like, four kids, and we're so grateful for that. We create environments here where people can find and follow Jesus. Like, that's what we want to be about. And like I said, it takes enormous effort. It's not easy. We need to continue to be this outward-facing church um, this strategically minded church so that we can do that, that we can help people find and follow Jesus. We want to do that for an entire generation. We want to do that for preschool kids and elementary kids and middle school kids and high school kids and college and adults as well. We want to be a church where that happens. Uh, so today, here's what I want to tell you, okay? Today, we need like dozens of you to join a serving team. Like, I'm going to talk to you about this today. We need you to be strategically involved in the mission because with the challenge that, like, kids and really all of us are facing, we need more people in the game, all right? So today what I want to do is I want to use whatever persuasion skills I have. I want to use emotion and logic and whatever, whatever else to invite you to persuade like dozens of you to invest yourself in the, what I think is the best investment that you can make, like outside of your family, investing yourself in the local church is the best investment that you will ever make to serve in an outward facing church like ours. Because when you do that, you get a chance to meet people who are like you, but they're busy. They're busy, but they have made a decision to serve. Like they've made time to serve because they've experienced the difference that it makes in their lives. And so on Sunday mornings, often I walk around and I will just thank volunteers that are here and, and, uh, for, for doing what they're doing because people show up early to this place to do this and to be prepared and to prepare this place for what's happening here on a Sunday. And very, very often what I will hear back from them is like, like thank you. Like this is one of the best days of my, uh, of, of my week. Like this is one of the best hours that I spend every, um, every single week. So what I wanna to say to you is that we need you, like, like the world needs you, the Lake Norman area needs you to step in and to, and, and to like strategically serving. And so before I try to persuade you, what I wanna do is tell you a story. 
And, and, and this story is like the backstory of, of the church, of how the church actually came to be. And if you're new to faith, maybe you've never heard this before. Or, or, or if you've abandoned the faith and you're thinking about returning, maybe this story, like this story might be what gets you to reconsider. So, so after Jesus was crucified, and he spent three, like three days later, he rose from the dead. He gathered with the disciples and he gave them instructions and he ascended into heaven. And four weeks later, these new followers of Jesus went out into the streets and they began to share what Jesus had taught. They went into the streets of Jerusalem. There's Jewish people crammed all over the place. And they began to preach and teach Jesus crucified for their sins and raised from the dead because they were eyewitnesses to that fact. They had risked their lives in the streets. and like they, They risked their lives in the same streets that Jesus was dragged through. And they were fearless about that. And so um, dozens of Jewish people decided to believe. And then like 100 people decided to believe. And then there were 1,000 believers. And there were 1,500. And then all of a sudden, all over the place, people were talking about this resurrected rabbi who might be the Messiah. And it was amazing. And so um, the people who arrested Jesus got nervous. And, and they thought they'd taken care of this, but, but uh, so, so Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, he, he knew all the people, he knew Peter and, and John and Matthew and all of them, he writes about what happened next. And here's how our story starts. He says, then the high priest and all his associates were members of the party of the Sadducees. They, they were filled with jealousy. You see, they thought they'd gotten rid of this cult, and now it was back bigger than ever, and it affected the entire city. And so they're like, what do we do? And so here's what they did. In verse 18, they arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. They, now, now, public jail, we tend to think of it as like a place with bars. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know what you think of, like some movie or like Andy Griffith and Barney Fife and they're, they're throwing in the public jail. This wasn't like that. This was a hole in the ground. Maybe there was a building over it, maybe there wasn't. No drainage, they threw them in this hole where people had been before, and and so you can just imagine what that was like. And they hold them overnight because the next day they wanna come and get them, and and the next day they get them and they say, if you don't stop talking about this man being crucified, um, you're gonna get crucified too. So you you need to stop. But, but, But that night, what happened was that God freed them from that jail and they escaped. And, and let me just ask you, like, if you had caused trouble, if you had done what they had done, and, and you had caused trouble, and you had gotten arrested, what would you do? Like, I would move on, okay? Like, I'd move on to the next town and talk about Jesus in the next city where it's a little safer. But the next morning, these, these uh, Jewish religious leaders found the same men in the streets right around the temple and inside the temple which was the epicenter of the Jewish faith, and they were preaching the resurrected Nazarene as the Messiah. They went back. So they rearrest them, and, and they take them back to, 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 to before this group of men that had Pilate crucified Jesus. And in verse 28, it says, it says this. They, they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, they're saying, quit teaching or we're going to crucify you too. And so then Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon to them. And the theme of his sermon is basically this, you are guilty of this man's blood. 
Like you, and he says this amazing phrase, you kill the author of life. And, and if you want to know the outline, here's Peter's outline of his sermon that he preached to them really quick. He says, you killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now uh, say you're sorry. <laughs> like that was the theme of his message. Repent and declare him your Messiah because God has done something in this city. God is moving in this city. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of all of these things that have, that have happened. And so Luke simply says that they were flogged. Doesn't give any description. And, and he does the same thing about crucifixion. He, he says Jesus was crucified. He doesn't give any description. Why? Because people had seen a crucifixion before and they knew what it was about. At least his early readers did. And people had seen flogging before. But, but what it was, was they took probably 12 of them or maybe eight or six of them and they, they whipped them with this whip that would, that would peel uh, flesh off of their backs. Some people, it was said, died from floggings. And so these disciples were waiting for their turn and listening to it happen. And uh, they were beaten in, in, in public. And, and here's what it says they did. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They got flogged, they got whipped, they probably had to be carried out and they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Why is that important? Why is this part important? Because for the rest of their lives, these fishermen, when they would take off their shirts, the, the people around them, the public that, that would be around them would look at them and say, you're a criminal. You were arrested and you have been beaten. But they, for them, they wore those stripes as a badge of honor that they had suffered disgrace for the name of Jesus. And days later, this is amazing, days later when they had had enough time to recover and could walk again, and enough maybe medicine on their back, days later, here's what happens. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They went back. Listen, these are our people, okay? These are our people. This is why we are here. Why would they do that? Why would they go back three times to the same place day after day after day? Because they no longer feared death. They no longer feared death. What would cause them to no longer fear death? Well, when your rabbi is crucified and then you're having breakfast with him like three days later, you realize something. God's done something miraculous here and the world needs to know and death had lost its sting. Death had lost its sting. In this passage, it says good news. Can we bring that back up, Jerry? The, if this, well, yes. Proclaiming the good news, sometimes we say gospel. Proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Can I just say to you here today, if the version of Christianity that you grew up with doesn't feel like good news, you grew up with the wrong one. If the version of Christianity that you grew up with, if you were raised with a version that you walked away from Christ, if it didn't feel like good news, you grew up with the wrong version of Christianity. 
day one with Jesus, everything regarding Jesus for everybody in the world was good news. And the only people that were threatened by it were those who stood contrary to his good news. That God had done something for the whole world and he didn't, and so they didn't re-arrest the guys again. They just, they just sent them away. They backed off these religious leaders. And so um, the church starts growing in, in chapter six, verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so uh, the, the church was growing. People were coming to stay. And like thousands of people from the community, the surrounding regions came to Jerusalem to the church and they wanted to sit with Peter and sit with John and sit with Matthew and Bartholomew and these men who had been with Jesus and taught about him. They wanted to soak it up. They went in all those details because God had done something. And the church began to experience this explosive, explosive growth. And they had these huge challenges. They had like no structure and no, no systems. And mobs of people were wanting to be close to the apostles. And, and so they began to stay in town and the restaurants started running out of food. And, and it started to get unmanageable. It started to get chaotic in that place. And, and there was a food distribution problem. And, and, and so it said the Hebraic Jews, there's some, some Jewish uh, followers from Galilee and Judea. They spoke Aramaic. They were from the same culture. And, th- and then there were thousands from Greece and they were called Hellenistic Jews and they all embraced Jesus as the Messiah. And the church decides we need to take care of the people who have been given to us. We need to take care of the needs of people. And the greatest needs in that day happened to be the widows. Like there were a lot of widows around and they needed to be fed and cared for. And so what the early church does, and it's this beautiful picture of the church, they're preaching the message of Jesus. They're preaching the message of Jesus and they're making room to care for those who needed care. They're preaching the message of Jesus and making room for, to care for those who needed care. And so th- those who were from further out of town weren't connected. And so the food system breaks and they're not fed as fast. And, there's a, there's a divide in the, in the community because of, of this. It's not discrimination, it's a distribution problem. There's no systems in place and the apostles are like, hey, um, we can't do everything. We can't preach and, and feed and care for everybody. It's not that they didn't want to do it. Uh, they, they just couldn't do it all. And so they did what churches do. They called a meeting. Um, you ever been to a church meeting? They kind of suck. Um, <laughs> well, I'm in them every week. Yeah, they, they called a meeting. They did. <laughs> I'm sorry. For those of you in meetings with me, I love those meetings. They're great. <laughs> they called a meeting. And, and so it says this, that uh, the 12 gathered all the disciples together. They said, it would not be right for us. To ne- this is what happened in the meeting. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order, word of God in order to wait on tables. And, and, it, and it wasn't that they were saying, no, nah, you're like, we're too good for that. We were with Jesus. So there's no way we're doing it. It, it wasn't like that. Jesus had just said to them, you got to wash each other's feet. And so whenever you start feeling a little, a little high and mighty, go look for somebody's feet to wash, right? Like go look for somebody's feet um, to wash. They were fine serving, but they just couldn't do everything. And they were uniquely positioned to teach what Jesus taught. They were with them for three years. And so they needed to find other people to distribute food. And so it says that this happened. Brothers and sisters, they said, choose seven men 
from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so they say, we're gonna pick seven men and we're gonna let them figure out how to distribute the food and we're gonna pay attention to what we're called to do and, and, and you do that and it's all gonna work. And then a miracle takes place. This proposal pleased. <laughs> and it's the first time and probably the last time in any church meeting that this has ever happened. Um, this proposal pleased the whole group. Everybody agreed. Just doesn't happen. Never in the history of the church. And so, and so then what they did was they chose. They, they, they chose people um, of, of, of the mission who were willing to do what needed to be done. They chose seven Greek men to care for the Greek widows. Um, brilliant strategy, by the way. They, they were Greek widows. They chose seven Greek men to care for them. One of them, uh, some of them became famous. One of them was named Stephen. Stephen started out doing food distribution for widows. You know that they discovered a gift with Stephen. Stephen had this gift of, of uh, logic and of communication and of, and of this of argument uh, about who Jesus was. He, was. he was able to twist the Pharisees into kind of knots and he was so convincing that the religious leaders hired people to um, go lie about him and, and then they had them arrested and they were taken, he was taken outside the walls of Jerusalem and stoned to death. The first Christian martyr was Stephen. And then they asked Philip. Some of you maybe remember Philip. Um, he was a Greek Jew, he distributes food. But he also ends up sharing the gospel with um, the treasurer of Ethiopia who was visiting for the festival. And, and the, the, the treasurer can't understand the book of Isaiah, so he talks through the book of Isaiah and he points him to Jesus. He begins to explain Jesus to him and he baptizes him. That man comes to know Christ and he takes that back home. He takes his faith back home and he becomes an influencer of influencers in his world. And so the, the, the next verse says this. They presented these men to the apostles. They prayed for them. They laid their hands on them. In other words, they, they, they sent them out to do this work. And you would expect that the next verse says, and the widows were all fed. It doesn't say that. Here's what it says. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It doesn't tell us what happened with the widow. It, it says, here's the result for your reorganization, okay? The word of God spread. And a large number of priests. So it took thousands of priests to care for the temple, the, the, the Jewish temple. And what this means is likely there were hundreds of priests, the same ones who shouted crucify him, who came to faith in Jesus, who concluded that Jesus was the Messiah based on the eyewitness accounts of these men and women who had stood up and said, we saw him die, we saw him rise, and that's why we stuck around. Like, that's why we're here. And let me tell you something, this group right here and all of those people explains what happens in the rest of the book of Acts and in the church. This is why we are here. This is why we are here. What did that have to do with like food distribution? Like, right, what does that have to do with food, food distribution? Well, one thing leads to another, right? 
One thing leads to another, and those men did what they needed, like what needed to be done in the moment. They did what needed to be done in the moment. And that moment fueled a movement. It fueled a movement. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And now um, it's our turn, and we don't need seven, we need dozens to step up and do what needs to be done now. Can I say this? It's less convenient, but it's more strategic. It's less convenient for you, but it's more strategic. We need, you need, like to be a strategic part of what's happening in a local church. Like we need you to step in, okay? And can I say this because I know you? Um, you need you to step in. It's time to like inconvenience yourself for something greater than yourself. Maybe it's time for you to do that today, to inconvenience yourself for something greater than yourself. Here's what I can promise, no flogging, all right? Um, I don't know if we're gonna get you your food on time either, but here's the thing. We'll never suffer for the gospel to the point of shedding blood. That is the gift of where we live. We will never suffer for the gospel to the point of shedding blood. Our Father is just asking us to participate in the body, not just as a consumer. And you will never regret what you do for the local church that is outward facing, for a local church that's outward facing, because collectively, we're gonna accomplish a lot more than we can alone. At the beginning of this church, seven years ago, I was standing in front of a group of people um, with really just an idea that maybe our community needs an outward-facing, outward-focused church um, with, with really just an idea. And a group of people stepped up and said, we need a different kind of church here in, in our world today, one that's outward-facing, that shares the gospel that's good news of great joy for all people. It's good news of great joy for all People. We, we just believe that Jesus needs to be talked about in a way, like in different ways that cause people to lean in, not push back. In a way that they would like hope that it's true. They would, they would hope that it's true and ask the question, what if it's true? What if this is really true? What if God, there's a God who wants me to call him Father? What if there's a God who loves, who really does love me unconditionally? What if he sent his son to pay for my sins? What if he gives me clear access to him and he asks me to call him, call him father? What if that's true? And that's why you are here today. Why you're here today is because seven years ago, they stepped up with their time and their money. And listen, now it's your time and your money that we need to give to make this possible. Like for this generation, and the next, to continue to do what God is calling us to do, to create environments, to create places and spaces that you and your children are blessed by because we wanna bless an entire generation. We wanna bless another generation that lives beyond us with that. If everybody will do a little, we can accomplish a lot. If everybody will do a little, we can accomplish a lot. And so, like, Next week, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, like, like next week, here's, here's what will happen. 
um, because this happens every week. Next week, a woman is gonna show up with her kids. And she desperately wants them to enjoy their time here because she wants them to get plugged into a local church and she's been out of it for a while and they've been out of it for a while and she is hoping that we get it right. Next week, another woman's gonna show up and and she's gonna come with a couple of kids and a a husband in tow and she wants the kids to, to leave and say, mommy, can we come back? And she, and she at least wants her husband to like tolerate the experience, right? And she's praying like crazy that God will give her an answer to her prayer. And what I wanna say to you is that you have the potential to be the answer for her prayer. You have the potential to be an answer to her prayer. Next week, like, they're, they're, like a single parent's gonna show up with a middle schooler with an attitude that, that won't even hardly fit through the door, right? And they don't wanna be here. And they find out about next wave and what's happening with, with the next wave. And he doesn't wanna be there. And the mom is praying, God, I need help. My kids just need some truth and, and, and help and love in their life. And I pray that this works. And you have the opportunity And I have the opportunity to be an answer to her prayers. And and I'll say this, for years, people like you have been the answer to someone else's prayer. You've been the answer to someone else's prayer. And, And that's for real people, right? These environments have the potential to change the trajectory of, of a, of a life. And some of you know that because that was you. Like you grew up in a place like that. You, you grew up in an environment like that where God kind of, kind of was, where there was space where you could see him and hear him and, and, and you responded to him. And let me tell you, um, I'm not just talking about children's ministry here today. I mean, we're talking about all across the board, all of our serving teams, but, but like children's ministry for a minute, like what we do is hard, okay? It's complex, it's labor intensive. This is why a lot of churches don't do what we do because it's hard but we're not giving up on it because we're committed to the next generation and we wanna set the anchor of faith in Jesus so deep in the heart of a child that even if they stray away, they won't go far. And it's worth it. And it takes a lot of work. And we're okay with that because we're committed to the next generation. We don't babysit, okay? We don't just watch your kids. We inspire and equip them to follow Jesus in an environment that works for them. Because, listen, if you're a little, like if, you're, if your daughter, if you're a little older, your daughter shows up with her grandkids, all right? What do you want them to experience? What would you want them to experience? If, if a family member that you, you have, like who's walked away from, from, from faith in the church decides I'm gonna give it another shot, what do you want them to experience? If, if, if your daughter like brings, her, her son-in-law who's like resistant to, to anything related to faith. What do you want them to experience? We want it to be like epic, right? And clean <laughs> and organized and amazing and all kinds of things. And it won't be any more amazing than we have amazing people participate. It just won't. Now listen, there, 
There are challenges that students are facing right now in particular, like with, with all kinds of cultural shift that's going on, and we believe the gospel addresses those challenges. God loves each child unconditionally. And then there are these you know, moral guardrails and accountability that if we can help put it in place, that, that, like, that's something that won't happen in any other place, in any other way. And if you've ever thought, like have you ever thought, I wish there had been a church like that for me when I was growing up. This is your chance. Like this is your chance to ensure that there's a church like this for kids who are growing up now. And listen, I know you don't have time. Because I don't have time, like you're, nobody has time. You are busy and you are successful people. I'm asking you to make time. I'm asking you to make time and specifically what I'm asking right now is that you give us 30 minutes. I think if I called you individually and said, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? Most of you would probably say yes. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm calling in our 30 minutes now. I'm calling in our 30 minutes now, and all I'm asking actually is, to, is for you to attend a 30-minute Zoom meeting that's happening tonight. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. Because what we want you to do is to find out more and discover along with us where you can plug in and where you can be a strategic part of Sunday morning. Um, our hearts break, like, like my heart breaks for those who are like a generation that is deconstructing their faith right now because they've been handed a faith that requires deconstruction. For most, the reason they are deconstructing is that they are convinced that the church left Jesus, okay? They're fine with Jesus, but they just can't find Jesus in the church anymore. We wanna help change that, and you are changing that with what you're doing right now. Like, you are the church of Jerusalem. Where, where, where we want to teach and preach what Jesus teaches and care for those that we are called to care for. And it's not either or, it's both and. And we're always going to be like an outward facing church. But, but in order for us to hit on all cylinders, we need the whole body. We need the whole body. Um, we have more potential than, than we ever have had here. But it's not, it's not me. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. It's an us Thing. And, and, and for those of y'all who get this, like you show up early and you set up and you make coffee and you park cars and you sit with kids and you hold little babies and you lead students and you do production and you do all these things that are invisible so that mom and dad can have an hour to step in here undistracted and learn how to have a better marriage and learn how to have a better relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Those of you who greet and serve coffee and you do things that nobody else sees and you tear down, thank you for doing what you do. Those who give regularly, thank you. Those who automate it so that we can budget better, thank you for doing that. Those who of you who are decided, have decided to be percentage givers, you've put in a plan and, uh, like, so that we don't have to beg for money, honestly, to do this because it doesn't, it's not cheap to do this kind of ministry, thank you. Thank you. Those of you who have made a plan to give financially, thank you. None of this would happen without, without you. Um, but let me say this too. If you're finding yourself or if you have found yourself growing content um, to consume, where you show up when it's convenient because you know we'll always be here for you with or without you. Can I just say this to you today? It's time to engage. It's time to engage. And for some of you 
who've stepped away for a while, today might be the day that you decide it's time to re-engage and find your place in the body. So, like, let's do this. Like, we can do this. In the early church, they had all these odds facing them, everything stacked against them, and against all of that, the church changed the world. The church changed the world, and there's still a great deal in our world that needs to be changed. But by God's grace, and, and, and with your help, we're gonna be a part of that change in our community and in our city and in this world. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.